Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Ted Brodkin, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania and the founder of the Adult Autism Spectrum Program at Penn Medicine, along with Ashley Palathra, a clinical researcher and therapist. Today, we will be discussing their soon-to-be-released book, Missing Each Other, How to Cultivate Meaningful Connections. And with that, I'd like to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Ted and Ashley. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us, Brian. Sure. So this I love interviewing people like you because you've just written a book, whether it took you six months or five years, you've kind of, you know, fully enmeshed yourself in a subject that you think is something that the world needs to know about. And the book will be released in in January. And so it's still very much, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from it. And I've had the good fortune to actually read some of the book in advance. And I'm really excited for you guys. I think you've got something that is going to be the the topic of conversation in 2021. Mere mouth to God's ears, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it is. It, it, and and I want to I get into it. So y- your book, your new book, Missing Each Other. Why write this book and why now? Well, um, we actually started the idea back in 2017. So we are on that spectrum of authors who have been working on it for a while. But I think it's only become increasingly relevant, especially in this last year. Um, Something that we did not anticipate or expect, but we are happy about it just because we're hoping it'll resonate with more and more people. Um, But originally, I mean, I can give a little overview. We were working together at UPenn um, on a clinical research study. And back then, our project was targeting uh, intervention treatment for autistic adults. And so this specific population of individuals are kind of working to enhance their social communication skills. And a lot of our project is working on developing and, and helping them practice certain skills and exercises that we developed together Um, to help them kind of work on reducing anxiety, increasing their ability to really engage, communicate, and develop meaningful relationships. Um, And that was kind of the precipice, but we ultimately would just have a lot of conversations in the hallway about how we were using these skills and exercises at home ourselves for our own relationships at home, our professional relationships, we'd come out of tense meetings being like, did you just use some of those exercises? Because I know I had to. Um, And it just kind of, we started to realize that it was a topic that was not really well covered, this idea of how do we attune better with one another um, in in real time, in communication, in conversations, um, and realize it would be something of interest to just the general population. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I um, would just add that, you know, as we started to look into this topic more and more, um, and even just in news stories and media um, kind of coverage, it looks like there's more and more documentation that there's just rising rates of disconnection in our 
culture in our society, in American society. Um, and over the last several decades, it's been getting worse. Um, when we were at Penn together, Ashley and I went to a talk by the then Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who got really interested in this topic and just documented that loneliness and disconnection um, seem to be a increasing epidemic um, in the United States. Um, and there's probably a lot of factors that go into that, but um, so there's rising levels of loneliness, disconnection, alienation, political polarization, stress. And so it's just gotten harder and harder to talk to each other. And then of course, in 2020, as Ashley mentioned, we got hit with COVID-19 and social distancing, um, which made it all the worse. And so, I mean, these are some of the reasons that we thought that this was a really important topic and timely. So the, so the book, Missing Each Other, um, How to Cultivate Meaningful Connections is about listening and it's about understanding what the other, what the other person is saying, even through things that they're not saying. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think we'll get to this, but we talk about these different components of attunement. So attunement itself or, or connection, when you think about connections between people, it's such a complex phenomenon, right? I mean, yeah. um, there's so much to it. And so how do we even begin to understand this? And so we thought of it in terms of components. And yes, and one of the really important components is listening to each other and not just listening to the literal sounds, you know, the literal meaning of the words we're saying as if you were reading a text, but also picking up on those more subtle um, cues, you know, tone of voice, body language, facial expression, eye contact, reading between the lines, all those kinds of things. It's interesting. Um, I've had um, another guest on our podcast show, Andrew Sherman, who wrote a book called The Crisis of Disengagement. I think it mm -hmm. came out about two years ago. And uh, it, it was a, a focus on the workforce, America's workforce, and how uh, everyone is disenfranchised and apathetic. And I remember Gallup did a poll, has done polls, uh, where they talk about whether employees are actively engaged, engaged, disengaged, or actively disengaged. And I want to say it was in maybe 2019, where 34 percent of workers were engaged, either engaged or actively engaged. And that was the highest number in about 20 years. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. That means that 67% or 66% are either disengaged or actively disengaged. And we're celebrating this number that one in three workers are paying attention to what they should be doing. That's That to me was a scary number. And I think with, with COVID and the constant evolution of social media, it's, it seems like it's getting a lot harder to co cultivate what you're talking about, these authentic human connections, right? Do you agree with, with all of the social media noise and now with COVID? I mean, where are we in terms of those authentic human connections that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's getting increasingly difficult um, with no end in sight, really. I mean, I think if you think about it from the lens of social media and the noise that's infiltrating our daily lives, you know, for us, the way that we conceptualize connection and attunement is really from this idea of, of groundedness, groundedness within yourself and understanding of yourself. Um, 
your emotions, your feelings, and then also within the other person in order to create that mutual understanding. And social media kind of makes you ultimately feel really untethered as you're scrolling and clicking and moving from um, the next viral thing to another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can, it can perpetuate this illusion of connection. It is obviously when it started this incredible feature that allowed us to connect with people all over, the, all over the world, connect with people we would ultimately lose touch with in previous generations. But at the end of the day, it's like, what, what is the, what is the value of those connections? How deep are they? How authentic are they? You know, a lot of times more and more people are talking about how they are the personas that we're, we have online are really these idealized selves and maybe not necessarily our authentic selves, which also makes it harder to connect with, with what's real. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of a noise, which is a good way to put it. I, I remember my, uh, when my kids were younger, I, I would go on their Facebook accounts and they would have you know, 2,200 Facebook <laughs> friends. And I just said, that's impossible. That's it. That you don't you don't know you know 220 people, much less 2200, but that's what they were used to. Th- those were their connections, and you're 100 right. Those aren't needles in haystack. That's just hey, right? That's adding to the noise. If you have to listen to 2200 people, of which you may know 50. Yeah, and I'd also say that um, social media, um, it's quote unquote social. I mean, it connects us with people in a way, but um, it really makes its money by attracting our attention and getting as much of our attention as it can get, um, you know, our eyeballs and our clicks and so on. And so it works by attracting our attention to the screen and distracting us from each other. And, you know, there's this new Netflix show, The Social Dilemma, that yeah. talks about us and, and also talks about the, some of the algorithms that social media companies use based on what we've looked at or clicked on before to feed us more of that and sort of push us more and more towards that interest. Um, and sometimes even towards extreme levels of that interest. And, and it, they tend to bin people into different groups, you know, like, well, this person likes this, so we're going to feed them more and more of this, that person likes that. So we're going to feed them more and more of that. And maybe some of that content even demonizes the other group in some way. So, so there's a way in which social media, although it in some ways connects us, can also really pull us apart and polarize us and, you know, whip up conflicts and uh, things like that and disrupt, yeah. you know, authentic connection. It's almost like this echo chamber that it creates where you're just hearing what you want to hear ultimately, which I think, I mean, the research is growing in this area, but... It, in some ways, anecdotally, I, I think a lot of people are seeing that it's reducing our capacity and our threshold for being able to pay attention to ideas we disagree with, to being able to listen to opposing views without disengaging or without um, reacting impulsively. That's a fantastic point. And as I like to say, nobody has ever won an argument uh, on Facebook. Nobody's ever changed somebody's opinion on uh, politics or or religion or the weather. Um, All right. So let's let's. So we we've kind of set the stage, right? The the world is a mess. Nobody listens to each other. There's hope, Brian. There's hope. I know. And that's what we're going to get to. So you have in the book um, 
what you call the four pillars of meaningful connection. And I love this. I love how you set everything up and how if, if people follow the exercises that you talk about, how you can kind of, you, you, it's almost like you can game the gamers, uh, you know, the people who are trying to put you into those little uh, segments and, and feed you what you are, you know, what you want to see online. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about the four pillars of meaningful connection. What are they and how can they help us? Sure. Um, so like I was saying before, you know, connection is really complicated, right? So we thought to, to try to better understand it and what goes into it, um, it would be helpful to break it into these components, um, which I'll tell you about. It's this kind of breaking down into components, honestly, is a little bit artificial because all of these components are interrelated and work closely together. But I think for the purposes of more easily understanding, it's, it's helpful to talk about these components. And one way to think of it, um, I, I like basketball and basketball analogies, as you'll probably see, but it's sort of like, you know, playing bat, being a really skilled player in a basketball team is a complex set of skills, but you start by learning the component parts. You learn to dribble, you learn to shoot, you learn to pass and so on. And then ultimately you put them all together into a fluid sequence. So that's one way to think about these components, but the four components are number one, relaxed awareness, number two, listening, number three, understanding, and number four, mutual responsiveness. So let me say a little bit about each of those um, pretty briefly. So number one, relaxed awareness. So we think of relaxed, relaxed awareness as a kind of state of mind and body that we think is the foundation of attunement. And um, yeah, maybe I should even start by defining attunement. So attunement is this ability to be in tune with and in touch with what's going on with yourself and your own mind and body and to be in touch with another person um, and to maintain a connection with an, another person through all the twists and turns of an interaction. You know, whether that interaction is a conversation or you're playing a sport together or you're playing music together or whatever. So the first component of attunement is relaxed awareness. And um, um, it means, relaxed awareness means being aware of yourself um, and your environment, including other people, while staying calm and relaxed and letting go of tension. And it's kind of a paradoxical state because, um, you know, we often think of these two things as not going together. We think of like, if you, if you wanna be really aware, you've gotta be like alert and on guard and um, vigilant and that can produce tension. Whereas if you want to be relaxed, you kind of space out, you become less aware, you know, you fall asleep, you watch TV, you have a drink or something. But there's actually a way of integrating these two opposites, what we call relaxed awareness, where you can be aware of what's going on with you and other people, but still remain calm and relaxed. Um, and for each of these components in the book, we provide exercises to help people develop these skills and which we can, you know, I'm happy to talk about and I'm sure Ashley's happy to talk about as we go on. So, but that's the first component, relaxed awareness. The second component of attunement um, is listening in which you take that state of relaxed awareness and you focus it on another person and what they're communicating and also what they're eliciting in you. Um, and like we talked about before, Brian, when we talk about listening, we mean not just hearing the literal meaning of the person's words, but also noticing the nuances of their communication, 
their tone of voice, the pauses in their speech, their facial expression, their eye contact, their body language, and so on. So we're, we're listening and we're kind of listening between the lines. And listening is a type of resonance. So when we're open enough to that other person that we resonate with them in some sense. So in some senses, physically, we often mirror the other person to some extent, their facial expression and body language, and also verbally, our tone of voice and emotionally, we, we resonate with them emotionally. We have some empathy for them. So those are all parts of listening. Pat, um, I was going to interject yeah, and kind of yeah. maybe give a little bit of an example to, to paint these make them yeah. a little bit relevant as you're explaining. I, I know maybe for some of the least listeners, um, I don't know, one example that just popped in is the idea when you're in a negotiation for um, your salary, increasing your salary, right? A really high tense, high emotional conversation, potentially maybe even more difficult for particularly for females, ethnic minorities. Um, so in those moments when you're implementing relaxed awareness, you're really trying to cultivate that relaxed sense of self in order to have um, a larger capacity for listening. So you see how it like starts to build on one another, being able to listen to yourself, your own responses, being able to regulate your own emotions, you know, is your breath starting to get really heavy? Are you starting to sweat? Are you starting to panic? Really? <laughs> I'm sure that's, that happens. And so being able to regulate that to be, to give you a better shot, at having the mental fortitude to be in the moment and to be able to resonate with what that person in front of you is saying, being able to see their body language, maybe hear more, be in more tune with what their goals are so that you can use that information to put yourself in the best position. So we can keep rolling with that or think of other examples, but I think that might help start to paint that a little better. And yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, I, I do. And I got a question now because, and, and that's a great point, Ashley. It's it's going into a situation. When I go into any kind of negotiations or discussions that I think may be somewhat confrontational, I always think in advance, what is the outcome that I want from this conversation? What are the obstacles that are going to be in the way? And what what kind of response should I expect from the other person? And so that I actually have it in my head. So if they say this, then I should do that. And if they say that, I should do this. And so it's kind of like you, you create this roadmap for the discussion. But is that something you would recommend, Ted? Like, would you say, if I'm listening, but I have in my head what I think the expected responses should be, am I not really listening? Am I... Am I Am I, am I almost like trying to game the system to fit my outcome? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. Um, and I would say, and there's a lot in that question, but I think it's helpful to some extent to prepare for a meeting like that and to think about what the other person might say and what you might say. But I think that can be overdone. Mm -hmm. so sort of over-prepare and overly rigidly stick to your script, or if the other person doesn't do what you were expecting they would do. I mean, you might think, well, the other person's going to either say A, B, or C. But if you go in there and they start saying X, Y, and Z, and you didn't even think of that as a possibility, it completely throws you off your script, and then you don't know what to do. So, um, so I think what we're trying to 
teach the skill of in this book um, and get a better understanding of is yes, being prepared, but yet in the moment, in the situation, being able to flow with it where it goes and to be flexible and, um, you know, be able to skillfully navigate whatever happens. And some of what happens may be unpredictable. And it's interesting, you know, when we get to the exercises, but some of the exercises in the book are derived from Tai Chi, which um, some people think of as just a health exercise, but it's actually a, it's a Chinese martial art. And so they don't speak of it in these terms, but relaxed awareness, listening, and so on, because, you know, in a conflictual situation, let's say, um, you don't really know for sure what's going to happen, right? You can prepare, you can drill, you can practice and so on, but you got to kind of be ready for anything. So no matter what type of interaction you're having or what the nature of the connection is, um, I think developing that flexibility. And, and what you're talking about too is not, you know, I, I think Ashley and I talked about one meeting, right? That one meeting that you're expecting that may or may not be confrontational. But really what your book is about is a much larger process, right? It's, a, it's, it's much more about doing this in your everyday life right? Mm -hmm. That relaxed awareness and listening. And so let me, let me get to my next question. Our audience is largely uh, owners of small and mid-sized companies. And so they have a lot of people that they interact with on a daily basis. They have their employees and their customers and prospects and vendors and partners. And so it's, it's a pretty big ecosystem that they're operating in. So for somebody like that, is it possible that you could listen and create these authentic connections with everybody in your ecosystem? Or is it something that they should probably prioritize saying, okay, here's, here's an important, you know, here's somebody on my A-list. I'm going to make sure that I create this authentic human connection with them because they're important to me. Is it something that we can turn on and off, I guess, is a question? I love this question, Brian. Um, I'm glad I asked it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's something that's valuable in almost any kind of interaction, but there are different levels of it. Um, so, you know, it's impossible. It would be impossible to ask of small and mid-sized business owners that they have deep, meaningful, personal connections with everyone in their ecosystem, right? It's, I mean, there's not enough hours in the day. Right, right. Want to have that with everyone. It's not appropriate and so on. Um, you, you may not, you know, they may not want to get that personal with everyone in their ecosystem, right? But when we talk about meaningful connections or authentic connections, I mean, there are different contexts. Yes, with your, you know, your spouse, your, you know, your partner, your children, that, or even your really close work associates or something. Those are relationships that are going to be deeper and you're, you're going to know each other better and you're going to get deeper into this. But even, I would say, even with the with brief interactions or people you don't deal with that much, you can still use these principles of attunement to improve the quality of those interactions. And, um, and that will really help you in your business. Um, and so I think what we're getting at here with attunement is um, a really important point is that we're not trying to promote that business owners have a deep touchy feely relationship with everyone. Um, we're really talking about using skills of attunement to be more effective um, because 
no matter who you're interacting with or how well you know them, um, if you're if you're skillful and you have a good quality connection with them, you will be more effective and you will both come away from that um, feeling better. I mean, one, one uh, way I like to think about this in terms of businesses and business owners is that maybe thinking of businesses as teams and they're teams of people who need to work together um, to operate effectively. They don't need to necessarily love each other or have deep personal relationships with each other, but they have to be able to work effectively um, and so um, using these skills of attunement, um, you know, helps them to do that because by maintaining a state of relaxed awareness, by not being reactive, being able to listen to each other and pick up on each other's cues, to have some understanding of each other and to use the skill of mutual responsiveness, which is that fourth element, like meeting each other where each other are and being able to interact um, effectively um, these will make you um, more effective. And um, I would say one other quick point about this is that I think in terms of business owners, another really useful thing is that I think owners themselves would benefit by working on these skills in themselves and not just assigning it to members of their team as sort of homework. Well, you guys get to be better attuned to each other, so you work better as a team. Because I think... Um, you know, my experience of working in organizations is, is that the tone is often set from the top and it kind of trickles down. And so if the, the leader gets better at these skills and models these skills, then it sets a culture in the organization that I think almost uh, subliminally um, the members of the organization will pick up on. I, I mentioned like a kind of ridiculous analogy to Ashley before when we were talking. I said, like, imagine... Um, a family where a parent is kind of mean to their kids and is screaming at them all the time, but it's sort of screams like, not be nice to each other. <laughs> so, hey. I mean, that's probably not going to be very effective because right. the parent who's setting the tone is not setting a tone of listening and communicating effectively. And so, but if the parent's able to model um, that behavior, then that creates hopefully a sort of a, a culture or at least an example within the, that system. So I, I think I need to stop now and go apologize to my four children for the last 20 years. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably true. They're well, going to hear that and laugh hysterically. <laughs> Dad, yeah, you could have learned from him. Uh, but, well, another point we make in the book is that none of us, no matter how good we are at this, including, I'll at least say me, I won't speak for Ashley, but... <laughs> None of us is perfect at this, and we all make mistakes, and um, there's always sort of little breaks that happen in connection, and one of the challenges is, is also learning how to um, repair the connection and repair the alliance and so on. So there's, no, there's really no such thing as perfection, but um, it's always possible to work on these things and, you know, improve it. And I think you know, people will get a big bang for their buck. Like business owners will get a big bang for their buck by working on these skills and by developing it as a, as a culture within their, within their company. Yeah, I'm just going to build on that and just add the idea that I think increasingly, especially in this year, at least leaders, owners in particular, they're being increasingly incentivized to use these skills from the top and encourage that trickle down effect, especially with the growth of the Me Too movement, 
Black Lives Matter, the way in which kind of conversations about racial justice, equity um, are coming up more and more. And they're going to be uncomfortable conversations um, that are going to be needed to be confronted by people of privilege and in high power positions, but also those kind of more less privileged and powerful um, members of more marginalized communities who also need to kind of handle with having these more candid conversations. I think actually that's probably the point of this podcast, to be honest with you right now is the idea that, you know, we live in a multicultural society and that, you know, there are people that we interact with on a daily basis who are not like us. They think differently than us. They live differently than us. And for as long as, you know, we can remember there have been, there has been discrimination and racism in our country. And it seems to only be coming to light now. I mean, in terms of where we're, I, I think I it's like coming to, to collective awareness. Yes, conscious I, awareness exactly. Now. I, I yeah. do. I think, I think that, you know, when you heard that phrase, Black Lives Matter, you know, and we heard it for, I don't know how many years, but somehow it, 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 it finally broke through and it resonated with, you know, white society. So I, I would, I would 100% agree with you on that. And this actually, and, and that kind of brings this whole conversation into the light, you know, that we do need to do a better job of listening to each other, listening to people who are different than us, because they come at not only people who are sitting across the table from us, but people who are on the same side of the table, right? Our employees, our partners, our vendors, right? The people who are trying to help us in our business, they see things differently than we do. And are we listening to them, really authentically listening to them and their ideas and their suggestions, or do we poo-poo them? and say, I don't understand what you're saying, so I'm not going to buy into it. I love right. that. And, 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 and that brings me to my next question, which it sounds like you've done years of research, right? Uh, preparing for this book. And I wanna know if, did you find that different people connect differently? So for example, like, did, did you find that men connect differently than women or old versus young or inner city versus rural, black versus white. Did you, did, what did you find in terms of authentic connections there? That's an interesting question. I think for us and our experience um, in terms of the research, we, you know, focus more on this idea that there are commonalities. There is this innate drive that just most humans have or social connection. Um, and that changes, it's kind of like a spectrum or I think of it as like a, a soundboard, like a music soundboard where it, people's motivation and interest in those connections dial up, they dial down their skills and abilities to be able to communicate, dial up and dial down depending on the person. Um, so I don't know that we specifically, I mean, Ted Kanadin um, have evidence related to these specific groups. But I think what is important is what we talked about, this idea that everyone has multiple cultural identities, whether it's their ethnicity, their um, disability, age, gender, where they're from, socioeconomic status. Um, and all of those identities interact 
mm-hmm. with one another to create their distinct, unique communication style and also creates their unique filter on the way that they ingest information and the way that they'll communicate information back. So I think that's kind of the piece that we get at with these skills, particularly um, the third pillar of understanding where we talk about how a lot of the work, a lot of the relaxed awareness work, the listening work helps to facilitate a better understanding of your own filter and understanding of the way that your internalized biases, your lived experiences are filtering the way that you hear what people are saying, your capacity to like understand, um, but also how someone else is communicating that piece. So I think that's a really important piece to talk about more, to, to value more in terms of being able to, to hear each other and then also meet each other where we are. Because if we can go in with the humble assumption that I need to meet this person where they are, mm-hmm. that's, I think, something that we undervalue a little bit and could, yeah. be, could be prioritized a little bit more. I think that's a great point. You know, I love the way this conversation has kind of evolved because I'm going to be releasing this podcast during uh, a business boot camp that we're going to be running for women and minority business owners. And one of the obstacles that they face often in business is that they feel like they're on the outside looking in, especially in white male dominated industries. I remember doing a podcast probably about a month or two ago with an African-American woman who owned a uh, winery in Oakland, California. She actually makes wine out of flowers. And I mean, so she's, you know, African-American woman and, you know, she doesn't make wine out of grapes instead of out of flowers. And uh, and she talked about the struggles that she's had. And uh, and, you know, the proof is in the in in the wine, I guess, because she's won a number of awards and she always sells out her wine. So she's doing exceptionally well. But can can missing each other help someone like Alia Natoto, who's the woman in, in Oakland, can it help them better position themselves and their companies to have more meaningful business discussions with people who aren't like them? I think it can absolutely help. And we do talk about this a little bit more, you know, the communities who have been marginalized, communities who don't necessarily feel like they have as much of a, a loud voice that's heard. But I almost think of it from the flip side a little bit more where you just said, right, that they often feel like they're on the outside looking in. And this is minority groups where you're talking about ethnicity, sexual gender minorities, females. um, and And I think the more and more that this conversation grows, you know, people are being are starting to be heard about the difficulties that they face, the biases, the discrimination that they're facing. And I think what's required is more and more of these quote unquote naive perpetrators who feel like, oh no, I wasn't part of that problem. Like I wasn't, I'm open, I'm willing to listen and, and really questioning like how honest they're being with themselves. That openness, that willingness to listen. And I think you mentioned this too, right? The idea that when we are questioned, when our our openness, when our equality in the workplace is questioned, you kind of have this instinct to just kind of to defend, to defend yourself. 
um, defend the ways that you've worked in the past. And I think a lot of these skills are, are helping with learning to hear what's being said, like learning to hear um, this woman's experience and think about how you can be more conscious, actively anti-racist, for example, in the ways that, that you work with small businesses or new businesses in this way. I don't know, Ted, what do you think? I completely agree. I couldn't, couldn't have said it better. And I think maybe one way to think of it for the people on the other side, those who've been in, you know, the dominant positions in business, you know, whether it's like, you know, white males or whatever, um, that rather than hearing this call to be more open and more willing to listen as an accusation that you have to be defensive about, mm -hmm. right. hear it as um, the idea that any of us uh, can work on this, that, that this is something that's important for all of us to work on. I mean, like Ashley said at the very beginning of this conversation, we initially started studying people on the spectrum, trying to help them with social communication. And then we realized, you know what, like we ourselves, Ashley and I and our colleagues and so on, we could actually work on this ourselves too. And so if, if we think of it as things that we all as humans need to continue to work on because it's so important. It's important in our personal lives. It's important in our work lives. It's important to be, you know, just for the quality of our lives in general, um, that may be an easier way. I don't want to say easier, but I, I think that could be a useful way to, to think about it. I completely agree. And I think the timing is, you know, you talked about it. You started working on this book three years ago. And the fact that this book is going to be coming out in January, I think that after the year that we've had in 2020, the protests, the riots, the, the killings, and, and, and now I'm going to kind of take a, a slight twist off of the conversation that we're having in business. But I think the timing of your book, it, it's this is how we can open our ears and really listen and do these exercises and understand where the person that we're talking to is coming from, whether it's socially or it's in business or it's in politics. I think that if we can all do these exercises, we'll all benefit greatly. And look, nobody ever said, you know, physical, look, we need to exercise our physical bodies. We need to exercise our minds. We need to exercise our spirits. And when we do that, we become stronger and we become more in tune with the world around us. And I personally look forward to finishing your book. I, I've read a bit of it, but I look forward to finishing it and doing those exercises so that when I'm talking to somebody who's not part of my ecosystem, right. that, that I can understand, I, I can be a better listener to them. I just, I, that, I totally agree. And I just wanted to throw in one other thing, which is, um, you know, 2020 has been such a stressful year for so many of us in so many ways. And, and I was thinking about this podcast today and business owners, and I, I happened to hear on the radio today, I don't, I don't know if this is an accurate statistic, but that something like one out of five businesses or small businesses has gone out of business in 2020 um, yeah. of COVID. And so I just want to acknowledge how much stress business owners must be under in this time. I mean, one out of five have gone out of business and who knows how many others are struggling to stay in business or really struggling to deal with the stress of this time. So in a way, I don't want us to come across as saying, well, and here's one more thing you have to do on top of dealing with all right. these stresses. Now you've got to be more sensitive or something like that. But I think what we're trying to 
convince people is that investing in these skills, number one, can help you deal with your own stress because this whole concept of relaxed awareness is really, uh, we think, a really effective way of handling stress and continuing to function, but also that um, investing and developing attunement to yourself and to other people can help you to navigate through these difficult times and, and build an even better organization. So I just wanted to acknowledge the kind of stress that people are under out there. That's fantastic. That really is. And, I, and I'm, I'm excited for your book to come out. I'm excited for the feedback that you're going to get from people. And uh, I know this, I'm going to be buying a bunch of copies from you and sending them to <laughs> to people that I know that I think would be greatly benefit from reading it. And, you know, smart, intelligent people who I know probably could do a better job of listening, of, of listening and, and, and creating that relaxed awareness and understanding that you talk about. What was the last pillar, by the way? I'm, I suddenly blanked on it. Mutual responsiveness. So it's sort of like meeting the other person where they are and right, right. the flow of the interaction and so on. Right. Well, I, I, I think this has been fantastic. If anybody who's listening to this podcast would like to connect with you, social media, email, what, what's the best way for them to reach you? I think our Twitter is a good way to reach us. Mine is at Ashley Palatra. And mine is at Ted Brodkin. Fantastic. And we'll include those in the resources when we, uh, when this podcast goes live, we'll have the, uh, a link to your book. And also we're, um, we're developing a website that goes along with the book that illustrates the exercises. Um, it, it's missing each other.com. Um, so another way to contact us would be through the website. And, and I just wanted to throw in there. Most people call me Ted and my Twitter is at Ted Brodkin, but my full name's Edward. So you'll see that you know, and the authorship of the book is Edward Brodkin and Ashley Palather. So just, um, sure. Just Not to confuse anyone. Yeah. yeah. No. So my name is Brian Moran and I can't <laughs> say in public what people have called me, <laughs> <laughs> including friends and family. Uh, and uh, so, all right. So we'll, we'll include all of that in the, um, in the uh, resources on the, on the podcast page. So we'll definitely do that. I'm excited for both of you. This has been fantastic. Uh, thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ashley, for your insights, your advice to our listeners. I'm excited for your book to come out, and I'm excited for all the praise and any awards that you win as a result for it. And I hope it's one of the top books in 2021, because I think there's a lot of good that can come from it. Um, Appreciate your excitement. Sure. Thank you so sure. Thank you. Um, and of course, I want to I thank our listeners. Uh, thank you. We, I appreciate you all, every day for taking time to join us. Uh, please keep sending us your questions and your feedback. It's wonderful. And I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. And make sure to join us next week for another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. I'm Brian Moran. I hope you guys all have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bones. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.